It feels like spring, it's sunny, it's breezy, and I cannot breathe, I cannot sneeze, my nose is itchy, my eyes are itchy, those little demons are back, so we got to have a, something to get rid of those pollen demons, but hey, a lot of good stuff going on, you heard Pastor Marissa. Uh, today, we're still in this fire information series, kind of unpacking what I believe God is doing across the world in his church, his church, not our church, his church, and so I'm going to continue that today. If you're a Bible student, Daniel chapter 4 and also Joel chapter 1, hold both of those spots. As you're turning there, if you haven't yet, I would appreciate it and love if you would subscribe to our YouTube channel and give the videos a thumbs up or comment on them. It helps kind of other people find those with the algorithms. Plus, we kind of release some, some of the songs from Sunday morning we'll release on there. We'll release some sermons on there and that kind of thing as well. So that's a great benefit for you. So I believe God is doing a lot of incredible things in the world right now. I, I think it's not just Asbury. I believe you're seeing in churches all across America that are seeking God's presence are actually experiencing God's presence here on earth. I believe there's churches that are still caught up in old ways, pre-COVID ways of doing church that are more attractional and seeker-oriented, that are actually missing what God is doing. And so I'm making sure we're going to stay right in the flow of what God is doing. And I believe one of the things he's doing is really uh, pouring out his spirit on the next generation. Right? And so I, I read this uh, kind of fact. I'm a National Geographic nerd, right? So anything National Geographic, I'm on it. And National Geographic did a, a kind of documentary on the monarch butterfly. So if you didn't know this, monarch butterflies every year take a migration from Mexico all the way up through North America, through California. They spread out all over. So if you ever see a monarch butterfly, at some point it began in Mexico. And it's interesting, it says this, that they cover 4,400 miles in their migration in one year. And one butterfly's life cycle is about seven weeks. And it takes three generations, three generations to complete the migration northward. But the fourth generation is different as it will live seven months while it travels south and hibernates for its remainder of its time during winter months. Therefore, no monarch butterfly completes the entire round trip. They awaken in each February to mate, lay eggs, and start the process all over again. It's, it's interesting to me that we see these butterflies, they only live seven weeks. But in order to migrate from Mexico to North America, to California, to Alabama, to Ohio, to Pennsylvania, in order to get there, it takes this intergenerational journey. It takes more than one generation just thinking about what's my purpose in life? What, what's God got me, called me to do? It's this intergenerational thinking that I'm beginning a journey that I may not finish, but my job is to take it further than when I had it, to take it further somebody else can pick up where I left off. It's a very interesting concept. That they begin the journey knowing they're not going to finish the journey, that they are going to die along the journey, but they are going to birth someone or something that can pick up where they left off to complete the migration, to complete the life cycle. There is not a better explanation of the heart of God. He is an intergenerational, multi-generational God. In our day and age of, of secular humanism and, and, and self-pursuit and self-righteousness and self-centeredness and narcissism and self-regeneration, we think God is all about us. But in theory, he's all about him and his kingdom, and we are part of it to see his kingdom advance from generation to generation. But once you think it's all about my purpose, my life, what I'm called to do, you actually stop. 
and break the chains of the multi-generational promise and vision of God. See, you will never, ever fulfill a God-given vision in one generation. Ever. You read the Bible, Abraham had this incredible vision, thought it was for him. We're still living out his generational blessings. When you look throughout scripture, and even David, these promises, he will sit upon the throne. It was not completely fulfilled until Jesus was resurrected and set on the throne. It won't be completely fulfilled until he returns again. God is a multi-generational God. That means your prayers should be so much bigger than just yourself. Man, I've changed my mindset from just praying for me or praying for my kids. I'm praying for my kids' kids and my kids' kids' kids. Hopefully they get none of the DNA from my kids. Hopefully it skips a generation. Why? God is a multi-generational God. We think through our own lens. He thinks through the lens of multiple generations. That means your purpose is going to take more than just you to fulfill your purpose. That means our dreams, our ideas should be so much bigger. But what's happened is the conflict or the cultural wars of society have come into the church to divide and conquer the generations. It says this in Daniel chapter 4 verse 3. This is Daniel speaking out to the congregation. He says, how great are his signs. How mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And his dominion endures from generation to generation. In Joel chapter 1, verse 2 and 3, I like how Joel's kind of repeating this prophecy. He says, hear this, you elders. Touch your name and say, you're an elder. You know why I know that? Because this dude at Cookout, I tried to get me a... What a banana fudge milkshake at midnight the other night trying to fill my belly up to add some weight. And he said, okay, thank you, sir. I was like, I am not your sir, sir. You are an elder. And he says, hear this, you elders. He's speaking to the elder generation of the church. Give ear all inhabitants of the land. Has such a thing happened in your days or in the days of your fathers? Tell your children of it. And let your children tell their children and their children to tell or to another generation. They're literally saying what happens in one generation should be interconnected to every generation there since. And so how God advances his kingdom, he builds upon each generation, upon each generation, the progressive revelation of God, the foundations of the gospel, and the advancement of his kingdom. No singular generation can advance God's kingdom far enough. And so what he does, he stacks them upon each other. But the enemy's plan, get this. Bumper Seal, when he was praying the other night, prayed this at prayer meeting. He said the enemy's number one tactic is to break down the nuclear family. You see it in culture. You see it in Jeremiah 1. For the plans that he knew. He formed Jeremiah in the womb. He knew there would be an attack on the womb. You see it with Moses. He was put in the Nile River. You see it with Jesus. You see, he's always trying to break down the home, whether that's the Grammys, whether that's divorce, whether that's crime, whether it's bullying, whether it's whatever. He's, his, stack, his tactic has never changed. It's the same strategy. He doesn't care that you get saved. He wants to make sure your kids don't get saved. He doesn't care that you're doing well. He wants to make sure that stops with you. He tries to divide and conquer the family. Why? Why? Why is the family such a threat to hell? Why is the family, a mother and a father and the kids, their grandkids, why is that such a threat to Satan? Why? Because the nuclear family 
is the linchpin of the generations. And if he's an intergenerational, multi-generational God, the only way the enemy can stop the vision of God or the purpose of his kingdom is to break apart the chains. And he breaks apart the chains, not just in the church, but in the family. And so we see that taking place in culture right now. He's trying to divide and conquer and break these generational chains. In scripture, a generation basically means 30 years or the entire group of people living on earth at one time. So a generation is, I'm a generation, my kids are a generation, their kids will be a generation, my parents are a generation. 30 years is roughly a generation, but it also refers to an entire span of people who live on earth at the same time. So when Jesus said, oh ye, this faithless generation, he was speaking to everyone who lives on planet earth at one time. And so this generational concept is pivotal if we're going to be the church God has called us to be. There's tons of churches that are young adult churches or you know, elderly churches or you know, just folks on family churches. God has never called a church just to reach one generation. Every church is called to be an intergenerational church because each generation has something to give and to offer. Now, the beauty of it is, over each generation, as even Nisi was singing, each generation, each generation has a unique wineskin, a unique wineskin that the anointing of God or the purpose of God is packaged in. Now, to be honest, I don't like some of the other packages. I don't want to wear a three-piece suit and sweat to death every Sunday when I preach. Also, don't think that I should dye my hair and have my nose pierced and anything else. That's a package. The problem with packaging is we as believers judge contents based on the packaging. And the anointing is the same from generation to generation to generation. But the unique wineskin it comes in may be different. And what's beautiful about the different wineskins is each wineskin appeals to a different generation. But as we as believers, we have been deceived into judging the anointing based on the wineskin. Pastor Tyler Sturban, who preached here, I think in the fall, a spiritual son of mine, he has been judged since he got saved. And I've tried to tell him, well, if you just wouldn't wear those weird clothes, if you get one less tattoo, if you just do this and all this stuff, what the anointing in Tyler Sturban is the same as the anointing in me. It's the same as the anointing in Maury Davis and Doc Shell and T.D. Jakes and, and all these. It's the same anointing, but the package is different. The wineskin is different. Therefore, Pastor Tyler Sturban can reach millions of people on TikTok as they're being spied on by China. Some of y'all get that in a little bit. <laughs> different wineskin does not mean different anointing. It means different packaging. And so what the enemy has tried to do is he's tried to cause tension and division and conflict between each generation. And so they're going to throw up. I'm going to go through a couple of these generations real quick. Because for the first time in American history, we have five generations in the workplace together. That's why we hate going to work because all this craziness with all these generations. But in the church, we actually have seven, but I won't go through five. You have the silent generation. So silent generation, you were born between 1928 and 1945. You were between 76 and 93 years old. If you are in the silent generation, I want you to raise your hand. I don't want to force you to stand up and get mad at me. Just raise your hand real quick. You're part of the silent generation. The characteristics are you're more traditional, 
you're more patient, and you're usually more responsible because of the experiences you've had in life. Go to the next one. Baby boomers, 1946 and 1964. You're between the ages of 57 and 75 years old. If you're a baby boomer, I want you to stand up because you need to exercise anyway. Go ahead and stand up. (laughs) Your characteristics are you're competitive, you're confident, and you're sociable. You're the generation that gave us the word workaholic. Congratulations. Generation X, which is Pastor Brian after a prayer meeting. You're born between 1965 and 1980. You are 41 to 56 years old. If you're in that generation, would you stand to your feet real quick? You are independent, you are skeptical, and you are flexible. So I don't know, it sounds like you got schizophrenia. You're all the above. (laughs) Throw the next one up. Millennials. I'm a kind of a cross between Gen X and Millennials. I was born in 81. 81 to 96, you're 25 to 40 years old. If that's you, stand to your feet real quick. You are a risk taker, you are ambitious, you are self-centered, congratulations. You are the latchkey generation. You know why? Your parents went to work, your parents, you're the first generation that grew up in divorced households. It's the most divorced household unit in all demographics. And so you've suffered through Weekends with mom, weekends with dad, splitting holidays, latchkey, your mom and dad both had to work, you were stuck at home to raise yourself, Tupac and Biggie raised you, that's why you act crazy in your kids. <laughs> Go to the next one. Generation Z, born to 1997 and 2012, you're 9 to 24 years old. If that's you, stand up real quick. Look at all the six, seven, eight. You are creative, you're open-minded, and you're sensitive. Two sensitive. (laughs) But I will tell you, being sensitive is not just a negative thing. You're also sensitive to the things of the Spirit. And so what I believe God is doing, he's, he's, he's getting all these generations together to create an outpouring of His Spirit. And just go through just some quick fun things real quick. The silent generation of prime years, woo, 1953 to 1970. JFK assassination, the moon landing, and the Vietnam War. A lot happened in your upbringing. Baby boomers, the invention of the PC, the invention of the internet, and the rise of gaming consoles. Go to the next one. Generation X, the fall of the Soviet Union, the rise of cell phones, and 9-11. They they mark a generation with certain things. Millennials, invention of the iPhone, the rise of social media, and the COVID-19 pandemic. Those are major Markers. Can you imagine a generation? They're the first generation that was raised by an iPad. They're the first generation that couldn't leave school because school came with them through social media. Gen Z, I don't even know what this means. Virtual reality, AI, China's global domination. You ain't even lived life yet. Like, you don't even know what's going on. That's, that's all the younger chapel kids. Go to the next one. That's your prime years. The idols of your generation, silent generation. Elvis. Marilyn Monroe and James Dean, great idols. Baby Boomers, John Lennon, Mick Jagger, and Bob Dylan, Lord. Generation X, Michael Jackson, yes! Madonna, no. Kurt Cobain, yes. Go to the next one, Millennials. Beyonce, Justin Bieber, Taylor Swift, no wonder you're going to hell in a handbasket. Gen Z, you don't even know what music is. 
whoever Lisa is and Billie Eilish, you're messed up. And, and so go to the next one. The silent generation, devices, the Model T. Imagine picking your date up for prom in the Model T. The slinky, great fun times, and the radio, baby boomers, the Ford Mustang, yes sir, the Frisbee. Hey, let's get together and just throw the Frisbee. Record player, wow. Next one, Gen X, Brian Holden, the Holden Commodore. You got your own car. I don't even know what that is. The Rubik's Cube and the Walkman. Funny story, growing up at the playground I was at, there was this uh, a black guy who's come to the ballpark, the, the basketball courts, and he'd always be just listening to music. And one day, I was like six years old, I say, his name was Bobby. He's like, hey, Mr. Bobby, can I listen to your music? And he had, I want to tell you what tape was in there, really bad tape. But I put the headphones on, there were no batteries in it. He just bopped all the time. Why? It's the greatest generation. Millennials, the Toyota Prius. See, just, it gets worse as time goes on. Beyblades and the iPod. Gen Z, you got the Honda S2000, back again, and the smart speaker. Let's keep going real quick. Silent Generation cartoons, Donald Duck, Tom Jerry, and Bugs Bunny. The most violent cartoons ever created. <laughs> Baby boomer, Boomers, Flintstones, Pink Panther, and Winnie the Pooh. Gen X, Scooby-Doo, I don't even know what that is, and Garfield. Millennials, The Simpsons, SpongeBob SquarePants, and Sonic Head. This is why I messed up. Gen Z, you have Adventure Time, Gumball, and Rick and Morty. It gets a, there's no cartoons anymore. Go to the next one. The Sonic Generation, fictional heroes. This is interesting. The Lone Ranger. Batman and Zorro. They're all the same thing, just different ethnicities. <laughs> Baby Boomers, Superman, Batman again, and James Bond. Gen X, you've got Wonder Woman, Superman, and Batman. Actually, these are the same. We're just trying to be more gender fluid in the Generation X. Gen Z or Millennials, Power Rangers, Spider-Man, and who? Batman again. Go to the next one. Generation Z, Iron Man, Captain America, and Thor. And Thor, I don't know who painted that, but that's a little iffy. Go to the next one real quick. That's all of them. <laughs> so why did I just waste eight minutes of your life doing that? One, for you to realize there are a lot of differences in us. There were some similarities. Batman was a similarity for all of us. Thank God for Batman. When you look at the differences, the wineskin of our lives, the experiences of our lives, the, the upbringing of our families create different wineskins. But three things I believe remain the linchpin to every generation. The promises of God, the purposes of God, and the presence of God. No matter if you're four years old, two months old in the nursery, or you're 87 years old right now and you're, and you're going to the, uh, the, the senior adult event tonight, Three things connect us. The presence of God. The presence of God is not dictated by generations nor time. The purpose of God, the purpose of your generation is connected to the purpose of another generation. And the promises that you are holding on to are connected to another generation. Uh, John Wesley said this quote years ago. What one generation does in moderation, the next generation does in excess. 
Now, I've heard that, that for years in church world, what one generation does in moderation, the next does in excess. I've always, to be honest, I've always taken that as a negative. So what does that mean? Well, you know, if your parents drink a little bit on, you know, on the weekends or at dinner, then the next one's going to drink excessively. This week, I was pretty convicted of this quote. Because I think it actually works the other way around as well. So what does that mean? I think what one generation does in moderation with the things of God, whether lukewarm, prayer, they're Sunday morning Christians, you know, they sing a song. I think the next generation, that what God is doing, the next generation is actually going to do it in excess. They're not going to be churchgoers. They're going to be Jesus seekers. They're not going to just be Sunday morning Christians. They're going to be everyday disciples. I don't think they're going to be people that are satisfied with just singing a song on Sunday morning. I think they're not going to be satisfied until they experience the presence of God. I think what we're seeing God do now is what our generation did in moderation. I think he's releasing to the next generation to actually do an excess to finish what we should have finished. He's going to allow them to finish or complete what God wants to do on earth. And it's amazing. When you read the Bible, we look at the disciples. If you watch a, a movie, the disciples, then you see they all look like a bunch of old guys. Peter looks old. John looks old. You know, Thomas looks look old. Do you realize they're mostly between the ages of 15 and 20? Most believe they're 15. You say, why is that? Well, at five years old, Jews could start learning the Torah or reading it. At eight years old, they could start reading the Torah or the interpretation of it. At 13, they could start understanding the rabbinical interpretations of it, the question and answer side. And at 15, they begin to teach. But until 30, they didn't have the authority to actually, authority to teach other people the word of God. Most of them were married by the time they were 18. Only one disciple was actually married. That was Peter. And we know he was just trying to get away from his mother-in-law. That was his whole purpose in life. Jesus said, come follow me and leave your family behind. He said, I'm there. Like it was easy for him. Right? So you have these 15 to 18-year-old young men. And that's who God trusted to build his church upon. Now, that's interesting to me because I, I believe this quote of what one generation does in moderation, the next does in excess. When you look at the generation that Jesus came to, he said, oh, you faithful generation." He was talking to the Pharisees, and that generation was a generation, they knew the word, but they were lukewarm, they were dry, they were judgmental, they were divisive. Even they couldn't get along with each other. So you had the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, they, they divided amongst themselves. And so what God did in one generation, he flipped it from being a dry religion to a spirit-filled movement. And he entrusted it to a bunch of young people. And so I believe for us to be the church that God can use to be a movement in our community and the nation. I believe we have to be people that embrace every generation has a gift to release into the church. Every generation has a purpose that it's not once you get older, you sit and watch. Every generation has a purpose, not just young people sitting down in chapel kids. Every generation has a purpose in advancing the kingdom through his local church. I believe the older generation provides the guidance the wisdom and stability, but the younger generation provides passion, activity, and movement. They, they provide the movement to the church. And so I'm going to give you just real quick, and we're going to go into prayer, four tensions, I believe, or actions between the older and the younger. Number one is this. We are called to build altars and start fires. 
We're called to build altars and start fires. What that means is the older generation is responsible to build altars of God's faithfulness. But the younger generation is responsible to start and keep the fire upon the altars that the previous generation had built. And everyone is responsible to lay sacrifices on the fires of the altar to see God move again. It means the older generation provides the resources, but the younger generation provides the activity or the passion. And when you see in the Bible the word altars, they weren't just wood altars at a church. They were throughout the country of Israel. They were through, anywhere God moved, they would build an altar. And so what would happen is if they experienced the move of God, they would build an altar there as a memory or as a memento or as a, a trophy or as a souvenir of what God had done to a certain point. And once they built that altar, usually it was from Abraham or Isaac or Jacob or David or Joshua. They would use their resources to build something so the next generation could see what God had done previously. And then that generation was responsible to make sure the fire stayed upon the altar. You see, in, in Jacob's encounter with, with God at, the, at Bethel, he sees the angels ascending and descending. God changes his name. He wrestles with God at night. He changes his name from, from Jacob to Israel. And he builds an altar and called it Bethel. So that anybody who came back through there, what's the name of the city? Bethel. In a place of God's presence. It's a gateway to heaven. Ebenezer, I've used this illustration a couple of times. Ebenezer, in 1 Samuel 7, 7 Samuel is now the new judge of Israel. They're worshiping other idols. He calls them back to repentance. He cries out to God. The Philistines are coming against them. They tell Samuel, don't stop crying out to God. He gives them victory, and he builds this altar. And this is what it actually means in verse 12. Samuel took a stone and set it up and called its name Ebenezer. For he said, till now the Lord has helped us. See, as an older generation, the young people should never, ever have to question if God is real. They should see so many altars in our lives. At your home, they should ask, hey, what is that Bible? Man, it's your grandfather's Bible. Even this morning, I was talking about I drove to, me and RJ drove to Ayuka, which was a huge mistake. We were going there to eat. I wanted to help him learn how to drive. There's nothing to eat in Ayuka. There's nothing to do in Ayuka. But we drove there, and Johnny Flurry tells me that that's where his, his grandfather lived. And his grandfather would walk from Ayuka to Tuscumbia and meet Pastor Henry Melton's father and they would preach together. What is that? That's an altar that he can tell his kids about. It's an altar he can tell his grandson Theo about. That, that our kids are questioning, is God real? And the only reason they're asking that is because we have a generation who has not built altars. You say, what is that? That's your story. That's how God has moved in your life. And the younger people then, once they, they see the altar, and you can tell them God helped our family up until this point. Now it's your job to continue with God's help to move our family forward and to keep a fire upon the altar. What is the fire of the altar? It's the passionate pursuit of God's presence. Charles Spurgeon said, young men, trust God and make their future bright with blessing. But old men, trust God and magnify him for all the mercies of the past. When the two work together, the old men are demonstrating God's faithfulness and the young men are demonstrating his, his, his goodness and his passion and his love and his sacrifice. The old women are sharing stories and sharing his faithfulness in their marriage and their families and the young women are taking it and running with it, building fires and start, building altars and starting fires. Number two would be to fight battles and to occupy territory. The older generation is called to govern the kingdom. 
elders or can't be new believers. The elders help govern the church. The older generation is called to help govern the kingdom. But the younger generation is called to be the warriors that advance the kingdom. And everyone is called to be citizens of the kingdom. Why? We are at war. Like if we all went out to war, the enemy would sneak into the church and destroy the church from the inside out. We're at war. The, the Christian faith isn't like a battle. It is a battle. You're always at battle. The moment you take time off, you're already losing. It's a battle. What happens, though, is if we advance and we begin to take new territory, you have to learn to govern. The difference between the Greeks, this is Western Humanities 101. The difference between the Greeks and the Romans, the Greeks knew how to conquer. They would go in, they'd take over territory, they'd destroy an army, but they didn't know how to rule and govern. The Romans, on the other hand, knew how to conquer and they learned how to rule and govern. Therefore, they took over most of the known world. It takes warriors and governors to occupy territory. It takes them both. And what happens is, as you get older, at some point, you have to quit going to war. Every athlete gets old. When I wake up in the morning, I have to pop my knees, pop my ankles, pop my fingers, stretch my back. A toy is like, you're making so much noise. I said, it's not me, it's my body. Like, you got to stretch it, it hurts. Like, I'm slow, I'm not as fast as I used to be, I'm not as strong as I used to be. Every athlete, even Tom Brady, is now retiring. At 44, however, LeBron James, every great athlete moves from being on the front lines to then being a coach helping people on the front lines. Using their wisdom and expertise instead of their ability and their attributes, they use their experiences, their wisdom, their knowledge to help the next generation fight the battles. Even in the military, the Jewish young man only fought in battle from 20 to 50. At 50, he had to retire. Why? You're not quite as good as you used to be. And every man in here, you think right now, if some guy came in here to try to take over the church, you think you could jump up and save the day. I'm here to tell you, no. You got tired walking from the parking lot in. Like, it happens to all of us. It's okay. Like, even RJ, we used to box, and like, we'd box for years, and we're in the front room, and we start boxing, and for the first time, he actually hit me. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I was like, hold on, put out your arm. And I put my arm out, and his arm was like an inch longer than my arm. I took my gloves off, and I retired immediately. <laughs> that was the only benefit I had. Why? There comes a point. Now, young people, you need to realize that old people still fight the battles because you've yet to step up into the army. You say, well, why, 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 why? Well, you know, it seems like the old people do this, the old people do that, and, you know, the older people do this. And you know, they say old people, talking about me. Like old people, like, yeah, you know why? Because you think everything revolves around you, and you're not willing to sacrifice years of your life to advance God's kingdom. One of the things I was amazed as in Kalamazoo at our Radiant School of Ministry, I'm seeing these kids who are leaving all. The best years of our life to seek God's presence in a prayer room with one another is they're prepared and equipped to go on the front lines of the kingdom. What does that mean? That means now some of the older generation can step back and say, here's what we can teach, we can train, we can equip, we can resource, make sure you have the right weapons, make sure you have the right stuff, we can help take care of you when you get wounded. And when it works that way, the whole kingdom gets better. Number three would be spiritual formation and spiritual power. The older generation is responsible for the spiritual formation of the younger generation. 
And the younger generation is responsible for supplying power to the church. But everyone is responsible to pursue spiritual formation and seek his power. Pastor, what does that mean? It means the older generation should be spiritual moms and dads. Paul even said in 1 Corinthians, he said, you know, you get lots of teachers. But there's not many spiritual fathers. You know why that is? I've really prayed in this. You know why there's not many spiritual mothers and fathers, but there's lots of teachers? It's because we've fallen in love with our own giftings. When we teach, it's about me sharing my knowledge in my preparation, in my hard work, in my wisdom. Fathering and mothering is not just about giving information. It's about giving your life to somebody else. And the reason there's been disruption in the intergenerational vision of God is because, you know, even our, my generation, and I think above, we got so enraptured with our spiritual giftings, we got so enraptured with our spiritual power, our spiritual abilities, that we so focus on what I can do. Well, pastor, I'm called to teach. That's great. You know the best way you can teach? Go back to the chapel kids' room where little kids who don't have a mommy and daddy at home, they live in a split household, no one in their family is saved, never heard the word of God before, teach them the gospel. Pray for them. Prophesy over them. Well, pastor, I'm called to teach. I'm, I'm called to preach. You know what? That's the multiplication. You reach one of those kids, you reach an entire generation. But we've fallen in love with our teaching rather than our, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4, for you, though you have countless guides in Christ on YouTube and TikTok and podcast, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then to be imitators of me. Titus 2, 3 through 5. Old women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanders or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children. To be self-controlled, pure, and working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. He's literally saying, if you're older, you have a responsibility, not just to the church, but to the kingdom, to parent the kids in this church, not to watch them, not to be a spectator, but then the younger people are called to seek the power of God. Like as they seek the power of God in Psalm 24, 6, such is the generation of those who seek him. I believe this younger generation is a generation of seekers who seek the face of God and of the God of Jacob, Selah. Bill John said this way, our mandate is simple. Raise up a generation that can openly display the raw power of God. That's our responsibility. To, to help form young people in the image of God, in the word of God, in the gospel, in the, the knowledge of God, in the spiritual gifts, so they can seek the power of God, but have vessels that can handle the power God wants to pour out. And as God pours out his power in them, then it creates this whole new riptide effect or, or ripple effect of the church being formed in God's image, but having the power of the Holy Spirit. And last but not least, leave a legacy but also inspire a movement. The older generation is responsible to leave a legacy. And that legacy is not an imprint of your butt on a pew. The older generation is responsible to leave a legacy, and the younger generation is responsible to start a movement. But everyone is responsible to pray for a move of God. See, every movement should become a legacy, and every legacy should fuel a new movement. 
heard a quote one time. I'm going to read it. The true meaning of life is to plant trees under shade you do not expect to sit. That's a legacy. Then when I look at this church, and there's a strong legacy of this church, you know, starting in the 1970s, the charismatic renewal that happened. They were a part of this. That this is a movement of that movement. You look at what God has done through this church over the years. It's a legacy. But it becomes a monument if that legacy does not fuel a new movement for the next generation. The older generation tells the stories of the faith that fuel the faith of the next generation. See, I'm sick and tired of people saying, young people say, well, I just don't know if God's not real. What they're really saying is, I don't know if I really like church. And those two may be connected, but they're not completely disconnected. And I think the reason they say that is because we get so caught up in our own shadow of our legacy, we don't share our legacy with anybody else. I am thankful for older men and women who, who shared with me what God had done in their life. I'm thankful for the stories I've heard of people like Smith Wigglesworth and Oral Roberts and John Osteen and Adrian Rogers and Maury Davis and R.W. Shambach and all these older generals of the faith. They didn't keep their experiences to themselves. They shared them with other people. When you watch the Jesus Revolution movie, wow, what is that? It's sharing the legacy of the Jesus people movement sharing the stories of God's transformational love and acceptance and power in one generation so it can inspire a whole new generation. What is that? Leaving a legacy that can start a movement. And for every single person, it may not just be in this church, but for your family, you are called to not just leave an inheritance, leave an inheritance of faith, which is a legacy that inspires the faith of your sons and daughters. To inspire a faith that God can do. If he did it then, they were singing the song, if he did it then, he can do it again. Do you realize when somebody says, oh, I just don't know if God, God is real. We can start at the day of Pentecost and work our way through the book of Acts. Work our way through church history to 300 AD. Walk our way through the, the Roman Catholic Church that started in 300 plus AD. Walk our way through the Dark Ages. Walk our way through the Reformation. Walk our way through America being found. Walk our way through the denomination. Walk our way. We can walk away through. In every generation, God has left a legacy from one to the next. There is no way to say God is not real. Literally, there's a, there's a 2,000 plus year history of a legacy starting a movement and a movement leaving a legacy and a legacy starting a movement. That's what we're called to do. And so I think what we ought to do is cry out. I think every generation is called to cry out for the next generation. I believe that's what we're seeing in Asbury. I'm just going to leave you with this. Leonard Ravenhill said, the road to revival is often paved with tears and brokenness often paved with tears and brokenness. Leonard Ravenhill tells a story of William Booth. You know William Booth, he's the founder of the Salvation Army. And when Leonard Ravenhill was in London, he loved to walk past this one Salvation Army Corps, which is what they called them. He loved to walk about because it was one of the largest buildings outside of London. It's, you know, homeless people were coming, the broken poor were coming, all these people were coming, and he loved to walk past that building. And I'm read you what it says. He says, and this is his journal, he said, in my 20s, during a period of passing, I loved to go past the Salvation Army building, which was the largest one outside of London. There was this huge block of stone at the front, and chiseled in one stone, it says, William Booth of the Salvation Army opened this core. 
And then it gives the dates of 1910. And a second stone, it says, Kate and Mary Jackson, officers in this corps. So the officers running that corps. It was in this poor city where they spin and weave cotton into cloth and textiles. And the whole town was on the poverty level that Kate and Mary Jackson labored for a couple years and nothing at all happened. No move of God, no salvations, no change in people's lives, no change in the poverty level, no change in crime. And those girls worked diligently and went to bed exhausted every single night. So they finally got tired and weary and wrote William Booth. And this is what they wrote William Booth. Would you kindly move us to another station? We're so tired and disheartened. We've tried everything that we've been taught to do. Please move us to another location. Like they're, they're weird. They're, tired. they're praying. You know, they're, they're praying for their families. They're praying for kids. They're praying for the generation. They're, they're praying for it. They've done all their training, what they were trained in ministry and seminary to do. And they cried as one, but just move us to another place. How often is that our, our cry to God? God, just move me somewhere else. This isn't working. Move me somewhere else. Here's William Booth's reply. He wrote back two words. Not one, not 2,000, two words. This is what he said. Try tears. They did that, and when they did that, they saw real revival come. Those girls went to travailing in prayer. Not just prayer, not just, you know, bless the food, but travailing and praying with anguish. Try tears. You know, when I look at this generation, I see God moving. It's a miracle to me. We've tried everything to help Gen Z. There has been more money supplied through schools, through consulting, through legislation, through benefits. We've tried everything. Medicines, counseling, therapy, listening, affirmation, you know, affirming who they are, self-care. But as a whole, it seems like it's getting worse and worse and worse. Anxiety is getting worse. Depression is getting worse. Everything is getting worse over and over again. And so maybe what God is saying, just try tears. I don't need your strategy. I don't need your seminary degrees. I don't need your theology. Just try tears. Ask for tears for your children growing up in a godless world and culture. Ask for tears for a generation plagued with anxiety, stress, depression, and suicide. Ask for tears for a bride of Christ whose garments have been defined by spots and blemishes and division in politics. And ask for tears for the slow decay of stealing our light and joy from an entire generation. Try tears. That's what we're going to do. We're just going to pray. If you would, I want you to stand to your feet. I'm going to have the band and the people that are going to pray to come up. We, and I know it's a little late, but we're going to just pray. I believe it's our responsibility to cry out for people who don't know how to cry out yet. And I will say this to the younger generation is that it's, it's been known in church world that we want to give the younger generation our leftovers. When we're done doing our thing, we'll give you what's left over. I think what God wants the church to do is give the next generation our best. Not put them at the kitty table, but inviting them to the table so they can participate and add to what God is doing. If y'all would come up, I'm going to have them read scripture real quick. This is Eliza and Isa, Isaiah Seal. 1 Timothy 4, 12 through 16. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, 
in conduct, in love, in faith, and purity, until I come to devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have which was given to you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so they may all see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. Amen. Good job. Next. Next week, Justice Trotter is going to read and then pray over our church. Joel 2, 22 through 29. Don't be afraid, you animals of the field, for the wilderness pastures will soon be green. The trees will again be filled with fruit. Fig trees and grapevines will again be loaded down once more. Rejoice, you people of Jerusalem. Rejoice in the Lord your God, for the rain he sends demonstrates his faithfulness. Once more, the autumn rains will come, as well as the rains of the spring. The threshing floors will again be piled high with grain. The presses will overflow with new wine and olive oil. The Lord says, I will give you back what you lost to the swarm locust, the hopping locust, the stripping locust, and the cutting locust. It was I who sent this great destroying army against you. Once again, you will have all the food you want, and you will praise the Lord your God who does these miracles for you. Never again will my people be disgraced. Then you will know that I am among my people Israel, that I am the Lord your God, and there is no other. Never again will my people be disgraced. Then after doing all these things, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams, and your young men will see visions. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on servants, men, and women alike. Over the past few days, I've studied this scripture, and it's became one of my favorite scriptures because it tells of the Lord's day that our fields will once again be filled with grain. And the souls of millions will be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the chaos of the world will no longer bother us. We won't have to worry about stuff of the world. Stuff like wars, hatred, sin, famine, and everything that happened when Adam and Eve became part of the fall of humanity. This does mean that he will get rid of this horrible, sinful stuff. But it also means that he will restore what has been taken because of sin and death. These few verses are verses of restoration. Verses of rebuilding in the people of God. Joel assures the people of Jerusalem that God will bring restoration. It says your sons and daughters will prophesy. The old men will dream dreams and the young men will see visions. I don't know about y'all, but that gets me excited. (laughs) Because in the scripture, he says he will not only bring restoration and rebuilding, but he will bring visions, dreams, And on that gives me such hope for the future. I'm believing and praying for a move of God in my generation. That they will wake up to the call of God on their lives and they will hunger for the things of God instead of the things of this world. I know there's a new day coming when the Joel 2 army will rise up Mm. and take their place. That's good. In summary, I think this scripture is just summing up that we have a good, good, good father. He's a father that will be there. He's a father that will never leave you. He's a father that loves you. So he sent his only son to die on a cross, die a brutal death, and go through sin, death, hell, and the grave 
just so that he could have eternal life with us. I think many people take that for granted, including myself. And it's absolutely mind-boggling that Jesus loves us so much. When I was saying that he's a father that will never leave you and will never forsake you, I'm not lying. There's some people that didn't grow up with the father. But he is the ultimate father. If anyone deserves the father of the year award, it's him. He has a plan and purpose for each and every person in this room. That's why I'm praying for awakening in my generation. Because they spend their time on the world instead of sitting down for a second and saying, God, I surrender. I want to know your plans on my life. I will follow you wherever you go because I trust you. I'm praying for this awakening. I feel like that's part of what's happening at Asbury right now. People have finally stopped spending their time on the world and spending their time on their calling that God has created and wants for our life. That's good. God did not have to create that plan. He could have left us in the dust he created us from. And he could have restarted this world. But he knew that his son, Jesus Christ, would go and die for all of our sins. He knows that there's a great awakening coming. He knows that this great rebuilding, the people will fall down and and worship him. You going to pray? Oh, yeah. Now I'm going to go into a time of prayer. Lord, I just want to thank you for this day. I want to thank you for the opportunity for me to be able to use my voice. Because that's what you called each and every one in this room to do. I thank you for your promises. I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you for the opportunity to gather together and worship your holy, holy name. You have a name like no other that can heal and influence an entire generation. I ask you for healing in the hearts of my peers. I ask you for healing in the hearts of your people. I ask you for a fire in my generation. A fire that they can't contain. They can't control. And I ask they want more and more and more of you. I ask you for a hunger that will only be satisfied by your presence and your glory and your honor and your praise. I ask you for a love for each other. I ask you for an urge in my generation to help others and share their testimonies with others and for them to never, ever lose their passion for you. I ask you for a breaking of generational curses. I ask you for a breaking of cancer. I ask you for a breaking of disease. I ask you for a breaking of sinfulness. I ask you for a breaking of lust. I ask you for a breaking of pornography and I ask you for a breaking of every sin that is going on in the hearts of my peers. And I know that's not what you called this generation to do. I know. Because you called this generation to answer their calling. But it's fine if they don't. Because you're just going to keep on knocking and knocking. And one day they will open that door and they will fall down and embrace you and worship. Because, they kn- because I know that you will never give up on this generation. You didn't give up on us now, and you won't give up on us now. Lord, your people love you. I love you. I thank you for everything you're doing in this church. I thank you for everything you're doing in the Schultz community. We love you, Lord. We thank you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Lisa. I've got Psalms 24, 6, which just simply says, Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, O God of Jacob. And it sounds so simple, and it's short, and it's sweet, but it's a verse that's a calling to our generation and to every generation. Seeking the face of God is something that's special. It's something that 
takes effort and takes a conscious choice to do. It's not something that you just nonchalantly, you know, sing a worship song. It's seeking his face and it's spending that time in his word and with him and learning his voice and learning about him and growing closer to him. And so I'm just going to pray for our generation and mine specifically. Lord, I just pray that we would be a generation that seeks your face. Or we would be a generation that doesn't get caught up in all the distractions of life. All the things that may come up or may be flashy, especially in today's world. But Lord, I pray that we would just go back to the basics, Lord. We would just fall at your feet and we would seek your face with the goal to know you more and to grow closer to you and that your will would be done, Lord. I pray that all of our own agendas, Lord, things that we want to happen in our life would be set aside and that your will will be done and we would seek your face. Lord, I pray that you would come and you would spark a fire in our generation, Lord. It takes passion, it takes effort, it takes time spent with him. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would spark that in my generation and every generation here, God, that you would, you would put that fire inside of us to set aside time, to not worry about what other people think, not worry about how long a service is going to last, Lord. But we would seek your face, wanting your will to be done, God. And I pray that it would, in Jesus' name. Second Thessalonians 3.16 now may the peace of the Lord himself give you peace at all times and every way. The Lord be with you all. Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So when I was asked to pray for anxiety and depression, I was like, boy, <laughs> I can relate to this. I've been through the ringer. But... Um, I lost my grandma like four months ago, and I've just been feeling so many feelings and being overwhelmed. And through it all, the Lord has been my friend, and he's been a place of refuge for me. And so I can really relate to this, those verses. And I've, I've just experienced breakthrough here recently. Um, I got in my car the other day. Well, I scrolled through TikTok the night before, and I, I don't know about China or anything, but um, when I was scrolling, it was this Nigerian dad, and he was singing this rap song called Big God. And I got in my car the next day, and I was going to work, and I played this song. And the Lord, just to begin to remind me that, like, he is Big God. He's the creator, and he's the alpha and the omega. He's the first, and he's the last, and he's just everything to me. And... Then he began to give me a little bit of revelation about the enemy and like his tactics. And I just want to take us there for a minute. Like, imagine Satan, he's with Jesus, he's locked eyes of Jesus. Actually, he's ministering to God. He gets kicked out of heaven, he gets the boot, and he hates us. He lost his inheritance, and he hates that we have one with God. We have intimacy with the Father, we have joy, we have peace because that's who God is. And that's when he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. The Lord showed me that I had to fight back. I had to put my armor on, and I had to tell him he can't have my inheritance because he didn't give it to me. It came from God himself. And I, I was Googling 40 million people commit. 
redo. Every 40 seconds, someone commits suicide. And I was like, wow. So I want to pray for Gen Z to be free from the chains and the bondage of anxiety and depression. So if you will, just open your hands. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that above all, you're our friend and you're our place of refuge. And when we're with you, God, we're home. And I just pray now that Gen Z would be reminded of that, God, that you remind them that you love them and you created them because you just delight in them. And God, I just speak against anxiety, Lord, where your children have been up at night overthinking and overanalyzing. We rebuke the enemy. God, for the spirit of suicide that is so strong, we say the enemy cannot have what belongs to you. We rebuke Satan. God, I thank you that you've been anointed with the oil of gladness, God. And I ask that you just send it out to Gen Z. Lord, for the spirit of... For the spirit of... God, I just ask that you give us peace. Gen Z, send peace out, Lord. We believe that Gen Z will be the generation that is set free and that is reminded of your presence and how good you are. And we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. going to take a minute to pray for UNA's campus. And real quick, if you are in any way connected to UNA's campus, student, teacher, faculty, staff, would you just lift your hand? And if you would just keep your hand lifted and agree with me as we pray. Father, we love you. And God, I just thank you, Lord, that you are the same God in Asbury, Kentucky, as you are in Florence, Alabama. God, I thank you that you are the same God in Toronto, in Brownsville, Lord, every single revival. You're the same God here today, in this place, on this campus. Lord, so I pray that you would pour out your spirit over the campus of UNA. God, I pray that you would use the people in this room. Lord, I thank you for the people that you have placed with a purpose on the campus. Lord, I thank you for the Simmons family. Pray that you would use them. God, I thank you for for destiny, for Sarah, for these students, or for every single person as an ambassador, as a representative of your kingdom, Lord, I pray that you would use them, God, for every single believer that is already on the campus at UNA, God, I pray that you would put a fresh fire and a fresh hunger, a fresh sense of expectancy, or that you will come. Lord, for those that don't know you on this campus, God, I pray that you would reveal to them, God, their brokenness and their need of a savior whether they would come to you. God, I pray for every single building, Lord, the fraternity houses, the sorority dorms, God, places that are marked just with reputations of of sin, debauchery. Lord, I pray that you would change that. For every single academic building, every single residence hall, Lord, I pray that you would have your way, that you would pour out your spirit, pour out a fresh fire. Lord, we thank you for what we've seen. God, I don't ask for a copycat of what we've seen, Lord, but just for a a new and fresh and authentic revival in this community, on this campus, Lord. So we love you. We thank you and we praise you for what you're going to do. It's in your holy name we pray. Thank you. The scripture I've been given is Lamentations 2.19. Alas, cry out in the night at the beginning of the night watches. Pour out your heart like water before the presence of the Lord. 
lift your hands to him for the lives of your children who faint for hunger at the head of every street. There are things worth crying for. That's good. Our kids, our loved ones are part of that. Just a word of encouragement. We've been praying every day for our kids, lost loved ones, close family members, their friends. About 10 months ago, our son moved out to to, uh, Portland, Oregon. I'm going, how's he going to find God there? I had had a conversation with him about God, and and he he was... at the time, a couple years ago, talking about atheism, and in Oregon, the Lord found him, touched his heart. He's given his life to the Lord. He's in a Bible-believing church. It can happen, but we got to keep on crying out, and we got to keep holding our loved ones before Him. So right now, let's do what the Scripture says. Let's lift our hands and cry out for our kids and lost loved ones. Oh God, we need you, Jesus. We need you, Jesus. You are the one that can do it. Just like you brought Isaac back, you can bring all of our lost loved ones back to you, Lord God. You are a loving and kind Father. You want each and every one of them back for your word says you are willing that none should perish but all should come back to repentance. We ask for that, Lord God, for each of our kids, for the lost loved ones represented here, Lord God. We need you, Jesus. You are able. You love them even more than we do, Lord God. And we ask for your spirit to touch them where they are. Bless them. Help them. Give us the spirit of weeping and crying before the altar that we might bring them and see them come back. We ask it according to the love and mercy you showed us in the cross. Let us pour that love back to them. And we ask you, Lord God, If we've done something wrong in raising them, reveal it to us. Help us to come to them, repent, and do what we ought to, Lord God, that they might be able to see that. And they might be able to repent and come to you, Lord. We need you. We love you. Have your way, Jesus. Amen. As, as we dismiss, this is not end service. This continues service, just another space. You're not ending service to go home. You're continuing service in your car, at your house, at your job, in your neighborhood, at your school. So Father, I pray as we leave, we leave with your presence, with your power, with your peace, with your purpose. Father, united in agreement, in one spirit, in one mind to see your kingdom come in our lives as it is in heaven. In Jesus' mighty name, and all God's people said, amen.